0: Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, everyone. If we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Elaine, and I am delighted to be here with you as we are wrapping up this last week on different conversations we have. And I love that we have spent three weeks talking about the different kinds of conversations we have, because if you think about it, our lives really are full of conversations. Coming off this last holiday weekend, right, we had a ton of conversations with people that we don't see on a normal basis. We maybe don't know them that well, right? And, but I'm talking about the kind of conversations we have in our everyday lives, like real time conversations that we have on a regular basis. We're moving from them. We're talking to family and friends, we talk to neighbors, co workers, but but these conversations aren't just in-person kind of conversations. More and more, we spend a lot of our time interacting online with email and text and Zoom. And depending on, you know, what's on, hello, SEC rival football weekend, we are interacting with our TV sets, aren't we? We're totally doing that. Now, did you know that the average person uses between fifteen and 16,000 words a day, most of which are used within the context of conversations. Now, depending on how you're wired, that's either like energizing for you and you're like, I love conversations. I just talk, 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 In fact, I go through 15,000 words by breakfast, Elaine, or it exhausts you. You're like 15, are you kidding me? I don't even think I have used 15,000 words total for the entire year, which I understand because I am an introvert. And we struggle our way through what I feel is like life in a world of the introvert. And for me, it starts with my marriage. I am married to an extrovert. And for the first years of our marriage, we spent a ton of time butting heads over, of all things, the calendar specifically the white space on the calendar. He wanted to fill it up with things to do and people to go, which meant just stuff and talk, talk, talk. And I wanted to keep it clean, unblemished, without a spot. In fact, the wider it was, the better for me. Now, we resolved a lot of how to do that, but it was also just in our general, the way we communicate. You know, my husband can go through life every, I mean, he's out of that bed, a light's on, a TV's on, he's talking. He is one of those external processors. He can chit chat, chit. He doesn't need anybody there, right? You can step in or step out. He may not know that you've even been there, but I can't do that. You know, I kind of shut down. Do we have any introverts in the room this morning, right? Yeah, I know you're not going to tell me. You're not going to shout it out. I get it. I wouldn't do that either. Oh, my gosh. And let's just, contrary to what you may have thought about us introverts, we often get labeled as being not people persons, right? Well, we are people persons. We, like, we love people. We just get over people more easily than others. And we need a little time away to recharge so that we can re-engage. But you know what is true about Introverts. It is true that in general, we need a smaller circle of friends. And within that circle, there are fewer still that we would consider good friends, close friends. And because of that, I always thought I did a pretty good job of choosing friends. I didn't need that many, so I needed them to be good because I'm also a loyal person. I wanted to have these friends for a long time. Again, we don't like, introverts do not necessarily love the process of trying to find new friends in fact i have three friends that go all the way back to my childhood do any of you have friends that go all the way back to your childhood i mean they have walked through all the stuff with you they, they've done all the things they know where all the bodies are buried don't they and you trust them more than just about anyone else that's the friends that i am talking about and even if your friends don't, you know, go back that far, like me, my friends, because I was so close with them, they were involved in many, many pivotal conversations, pivotal moments, right? And your friends may not go that back that far, but you know this, that your friends who were involved in your life at certain times, because of your relationship with them, had a pivotal effect on a decision that you made and the resulting direction in which your life went. So, this leads me to what I would love to talk about this morning, and this is the reality of this, that the friends we travel the closest with are the ones that we talk the most with, and because of that, those conversations have the ability to greatly affect the thoughts and the decisions that we make, so choose your traveling companions wisely, Now, I would love to share with you, of those my my three friends that went back to childhood, I would love to share with you how we met our very first conversation. Because I think, honestly, I said they were involved in pivotal decisions in my life. It's going to help you understand why we were so tight and why they were so important to me. So my first conversation with these friends, these three friends, started when I was 12 years old. Now, that age marked for me the beginning of a long season of abuse that changed my world. Now, I don't remember the exact time frame that the friendship started or when it happened when I was 12 years old, any of that stuff. But what I do remember is I was sitting alone in my pain and in my confusion. And and I was kind of lost in thought when I heard the voices of some friends that I had heard before. I kind of knew of them, but we were not friends until that day. And so we struck up a conversation and I kind of told them, like, I'm desperate here. I'm like, here's what's going on in my life. And I do not know, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do about this. And they agreed, they were like, whoa, that's a, that's a problem. You got problems. Now, one of them, kind of a bold one in the group, kind of let out and just said, you know, kind of suggested, kind of asked, are you sure there's not something that you're saying or doing that's causing this whole thing to happen? Are you sure? And that was like, surprising. Like we had not been friends like that long, not even a whole day. But I have to tell you, I was sitting there like, you know what? I, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I should think about that. Am I doing something? The other one kind of asked, hey, I just don't understand why you don't just stop it. Like, why do you keep letting this happen? Why don't you just do something about it? That one was offensive, you know? And I thought, well, I, t- to be true, I don't actually have an answer for you. I don't know. I don't know why I don't. Wish I did. And the third one, well, she just cried with me. And here's what she sort of said here was, it, it's almost as if now, Elaine, you are broken. And I don't know how you'll ever get put back together again. Now, in the course of our conversation, we decided, hey, it's just going to be the four of us that are going to know about all this stuff that's happening in my life, because quite honestly, it was a risk. It was too risky to involve other people in that situation. And as I had told them, I was kind of known as the responsible kid who made good decisions. And when I thought about the mess that I was in and some of the questions they were asking me and the fact that I didn't have answers for them, I thought, I can't, <laughs> I can't put that at risk. This is not something a responsible and good kid gets involved in. Now, that very day, they circled around me and said, we will be with you in this. You trust us. We're going to be your friends. We are going to, you know, keep your secrets, all the things. And we're going to help keep you from any further pain in your life. Now, I know it sounds maybe kind of weird for me to say this, but it's almost like the abuse was the bond that brought us together and in a way, held us together. Now, we were super tight all through school and they did keep my secrets because unfortunately, the abuse did continue on. And they very faithfully tried to protect me from anything and anyone that we as a little group of four would determine like, hey, that seems a little dangerous, that seems like it's gonna hurt you, which basically really turned out to be just all men where I just avoided them. And like all friendships, there were some seasons where I would hang out with one more than the other two, because let's be honest, you got a lot of personalities there, you kind of get a feel for that. One of them was like a dominant personality, she was out in front, asking the hard questions, giving her opinion to me. The other one was a chronic worrier, I do not think she ever slept. But she was also the one that would stay up late with me at night when I had decisions to make. And the other one was a real gem of a friend. She would uh, be the one who would kind of remind me of, like, past mistakes that I had made and um, stupid things that I had said and done. But she would do it in a way, and she would always circle back around and go, you know, I'm just trying to help you from making another mistake. You know, I'm just trying to keep you from looking stupid that kind of thing. Anybody had friends like that in your life where it's like, huh, I'm not sure. I know they weren't perfect, but they were mine. And true to their word, they really stuck with me. Now, fast forward, we are in, I'm in my 20s. And I meet a guy at the church, and he's really nice, and he's cute, and he's funny, and we become friends. And I really appreciated the way that he would ask me questions and actually remember what I said. Thought he was just really different in a great kind of way. And then he ruined it all by asking me to dinner because of my past, like men were only okay in the friend zone. Dinner feels like you're trying to push it out of that zone and that can't happen. But something in me was like, what if he's worth the risk? I mean, he's so nice. He remembers the things I say. He's kind. Okay, so here's what I told him. I won't go to dinner with you, but I will go to lunch with you, but I'm going to drive and I'm going to pay because that way it's not a date. It's just two friends having lunch. My, fr- my, my other friends, they were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, he's a guy, right? Like they're on the bad list. We don't date guys. You, you don't even know him. How can you know that he's someone you want to get together with? Like how, how can you even know that you want to be with him? Well, I had already thought through it, and I told him, I'm gonna do this anyway, because you know what, I've thought it through, and it is just lunch, it is just friends. And you know what, I went to lunch with him, and we were having a great time. I was laughing, we were engaged in conversation, everything was going so well, until my friends showed up unannounced. (laughs) I know, but fortunately for me, they played it so cool. They blended into the background and he never knew that they were there. But I was like totally aware. I was like, all I could think of is like, they're right there. They're right there. They're listening to everything we say. Now, I still managed to have a good time and I left feeling like, you know, I kind of think I do like him and I kind of think he could like me. And this could kind of be a fun thing for me. But you know how when you go back over the evening and, or the lunch in my case, because it wasn't a date, but you know how you're going back over it and you're doing the play-by-play with your friends and that's when they started chiming in. They were like, what? Elaine, I heard you say, Like, I know you keep saying you think he's kind of different. He is not different. He's not different in a good way. He's, he's just common like every other guy that you've ever you know, had a crush on or wanted to, to go out with. Like He's no different. And then the bold one, she was like, you know, I heard you when you were telling him all about your eating disorders and your family baggage. I'm not sure what you're thinking, but if you want to attract this guy, why are you telling him those things? I'm kind of proud of your strategy, quite honestly. I thought it was a bad idea to begin with, right? She was telling me all of those things. And she said, even if he is different in the way you think, or even if you haven't scared him away with that stuff, you just wait. When you let him know what's really wrong with you, like how you're like, really broken, how we've been keeping your secrets, he's gonna leave. And then what will you do with your broken heart? In fact, Elaine, to just be safe, you need to shut this down now. This can't go any further. And we went back and forth, because I was like, no, I do, I think he's different, I really do think, like you, you just don't know, and back and forth and back and forth. And in the end, I decided to end the relationship. I decided that they were probably more objective than I was, they probably were gonna be right about that, but let me tell you something, I was really sad, because I really did think he was different. In fact, I didn't date another guy until it was the guy I married, and even then they had reservations about that guy too. And as you can imagine, with opinions like that, they really made my marriage decisions, marriage stuff, parenting stuff, and even work stuff very difficult. Now, I know you're wondering at this point, okay, Elaine, you know you didn't have to keep them as your friends, right? Like, with friends like that, who needs enemies? But here's the thing. I know they could be harsh. I know they could overstep. I know they had lots of opinions. But here's the thing they really had stuck with me. I'm a loyal person. They really tried to protect me and keep me from harm in their own ways. And again, for me, that was loyalty. And I stuck around with them, I stuck it out. Now, I don't know if you would say that you've ever had friends like that, right? But here's my guess. My guess is, not only have you had friends like that in your past, but for many of us here today, not only do we, have we had them in our lives, but they're still in our lives to this day. And like me, you listen to them when they talk to you. And yeah, they're harsh to you at times, they say unkind things to you at times, they have strong, unsolicited opinions that make it hard for you at times, and at the time when you're in it, you, it seems like they're good friends, but in reality, they are not. Do you remember how I said earlier that the friends we travel the closest with are the ones we talk the most with? Well, I understood that. I understood that, and honestly, I had really good friends in my life, but where I didn't have good friends was right here in my mind. I would love to introduce my friends to you, shame, fear, and guilt. Now, obviously, you can all say, Elaine, those are not real friends. Yeah, I know that. I know they're not real friends. They are the personification of our emotions and the inner dialogue that we have on a regular basis, which, by the way, our inner dialogue, the self-talk we do, is going on 24-7. Now, we're on the last week of a three-week series about the conversations we have in life. And Let me tell you something. Some of the most impactful conversations you and I will ever have are the conversations that we have with ourselves. And the power of those emotions and the thoughts that they have the potential to evoke within us and provoke us make them seem as real as if they were sitting across the table from you and me at a Starbucks, caffeinated and ready for a chat. And isn't it interesting that while our real friends aren't always able to be with us, these bad friends never seem to leave. And because of that, our problem happens when we start letting these emotions work their way into our self-talk because it's almost always to our detriment when that happens. Now, I'd love to chat for just a minute or so, a couple of minutes actually, about some of these emotions because they do like to hijack our conversation and then steer it in directions that I said, like I said, was they are always to our detriment. So meet shame. Let me tell you a little bit more about shame. Shame is a mastermind, very strategic Loves to uh, come across as strong and dominant, very competent kind of friend, bad friend, actually. Loves to control you by eroding away at your sense of self, your sense of identity, who you are, by convincing you that you're not worthy of love or meaningful connection with anyone else. Shame's a real prize. Now, the next one is Fear. Fear is your chronic worrier who loves to keep you aware of all the possible dangers that exist in the world around you that you need to avoid, like failure, judgment, worst of all, rejection, or guilt. Guilt is the bad coach that loves to go back and play the tapes of all the ways that you coulda, shoulda, but didn't. Guilt always has something for us to work on. Now, those were just my three. Those were my big three. But there's tons of others that we can talk about. Why don't we talk about insecurity? There's a fun one right there. Now, insecurity loves to insert into our inner chat by comparing us with all the people around us based on our shortcomings, all the ways that you and I don't measure up. You're either too much of this or you're not enough of that. And loves to get in there and suggest to us all kinds of things that we should do in order to compensate for showing up to life inadequate and ill-equipped. Insecurity. Envy. Envy is our next one. Envy is that friend that is discontent, dissatisfied, resentful. Loves to get in there and show you all the people around you who are getting things that they do not deserve. And not only do they not deserve it, you should have it. And in fact, you need to have what they have in order to be happy. Envy's uh, motto is this, the one who ends with the most stuff wins. And then we've got bitterness. Bitterness is a list keeper who loves to keep you current on all the wrongs that you have endured in life, reminding you of the pain that you've suffered so that you never forget and you never forget. Never let go. That's bitterness, fun stuff. Now, none of us would look at this list and be like, oh yeah, those are great conversation partners to have. I love chatting with them. We would never seek them out for advice, would we? But let me ask you this. How many times have we been thinking about stuff and allowed these kinds of emotions to work themselves into our thought life and cause us and talk us out of like, really great opportunities or relationships and into destructive relationships that aren't going to help us? Or how many times have they um, kept us awake at night because we keep lying there and adding names to an ever-increasing list that we ought to get rid of, but we never will? Or keep us exhausted because we keep thinking of all the different things that we just need to do to outpace, outperform everybody else in order to prove and validate that we deserve to take up space on this planet. So what do we do about this? I mean, if this is some of the most impactful kinds of conversations we have or the ones we have with ourselves, what can we do to change that? And how could we change that? Can it? Is it possible? Well, the answer is yes. Good news, right? And we're going to talk about verses. verse today that's going to kind of give us the how. Now, Paul is the one who uh, wrote this verse that we're going to look at today. And he was a follower of Christ and traveled around planting churches. But in light of this conversation today around self-talk, these conversations we have with ourselves, there's some other things to know about Paul that I think are going to be helpful for us. So the first thing is this, when we talk about the one percenters of the world... People that achieved the most success, most ambitious, the go-getters, the hustlers of the world. Paul would have been in the top 1% of the 1% in two different ways. He was a Pharisee, which means that he was in the most elite group of the religious elite groups in the Jewish world. He would have been considered one of the people that that would have been closest to God, would would have been on God's top favorite list of people he loves to be around, Paul would have been it. But he wasn't just in the Jewish religious world. Paul was a Roman citizen, which put him in the top 1% of the entire world at that time. Everybody wanted to be a Roman citizen. They would pay a ton of money. They would bribe people. They would do whatever they had to do in order to attain Roman citizenship. And Paul had both. No one was going to outperform or outpace Paul. My husband said it this way, it's like Paul wasn't just in the NBA, he was the captain of the all-star team of the NBA. Now he's actually writing in the letter we're going to look at to the church in Rome, and where we're going to jump in is actually a transitional point in the letter. Paul has spent all the previous chapters kind of giving us some theology around uh, who Jesus is, why he came, and what God has done to us through what Jesus did for us. And then it kind of shifts into, okay, in light of all that God has done through Jesus for us to make a way for us, here's how you follow him. Here's how you respond to that. Here's what you do. And here is what he writes. Do not, be, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay. So don't conform to the pattern of this word. Let's just take this first phrase here. Now, this word pattern, what does that mean? What's Paul talking about? Pattern of the world. Well, you know what the thing is? If I were to talk to you about that, you would be able to answer that for me. We know what this is. We just don't ever talk about it in this way. But the pattern of the world is all those things we've either learned or been taught that we have to be and do and think in order to get what we want, be happy, avoid pain, and be thought of as a pretty good person along the way. And Paul, Mr. All-Star Elitist, Mr. I've Got Everything, you know, I'm I'm an overachiever here, he is basically saying, when you think about the pattern of this world and all that you need to be, do, and think, don't do this. Don't do what I did. Now, Paul calls it a pattern, but what may be more helpful for you and I is to think about it in terms of the rules that we live by to make life work for us. Now, for me, because of my past, I had a couple of rules. So my first rule was this. Don't talk. Because if you talked, you are going to run the risk of being judged, misunderstood, called a liar, or rejected. People like me who have this as one of their rules, we go through life never sharing what's most important to us, the kind of stuff that... That we really do need to share, we may use 15,000 words, we may use 20,000 words a day, but we never actually say what's really going on inside of us to another person. So that's the first rule. Second rule, don't trust, because if you trust, you are going to be betrayed, you are going to be taken advantage of, you are going to look like a fool. People who love the, or live by the don't trust rule... We go through life and we never really have another person that we can just completely be ourselves with. Unedited, like knowing they've got our back, we don't ever have a ride or die kind of friend. Don't trust. The last one that I lived by the most was don't feel. Because quite honestly, it's just easier and it's safer not to do that. You do not want to appear weak and needy lest somebody see you as vulnerable, people that go through this in life, the energy it takes to suppress and keep those emotions down, it is like an ongoing, never-ending game of emotional whack-a-mole, and it is exhausting to do that. When all the world is a pool of piranhas, you best not look, you best not bleed, right? You just need to not bleed. Now, those are my big three rules, but there's other rules along the way, Here's some that may be yours. Never stop, no matter the cost. Because the moment you stop, someone else is going to pull ahead of you, and then they're going to win all the beautiful prizes that you were going for. Or the other one, just give up, no matter who it affects. Because quite honestly, you shouldn't have to work that hard to get through life. I mean, it's all fun, it's all fine as long as it's fun, but the moment things get hard, whether it's relationally, in your job, in your circumstances, there's always going to be something else you can go find. You just go find another one to replace it, right? You just keep moving on. You just give up. Or my way or the highway, a lot of us love that one. Because if it's not my way, then that means I'm not in control and I need to be in control in order to ensure that I get the outcome that I want. Or let it go like Elsa, right? Except it's not like Elsa. Because the thought behind this is, if I don't let it go, I run the risk of losing the love, the acceptance, the approval that I so desperately need from the people around me. Now we've all heard of these sayings before, these rules, right? And it's because they're just variations of the pattern of this world. They're the rules that we live by to help make life work for us, to help us get through life. But let's be honest about something. Are they really helping you? Are they really making your relationships better? making your life better for you? Because mine were not. Whether you're a person of faith or not, over the long haul, what you realize is this just does not work. The very rules that I thought would make me happy, get me what I want, help me avoid pain, and be thought of as a pretty, well, happy person, a good person, were doing the exact opposite in my life. And many of us, for many of us, these patterns, these rules that we live by become the framework in which our inner dialogue, our self-talk takes place, and, and it affects us, and it keeps us from meaningful connections with the people around us. Listen, I had great people around me. I really did, but as long as I keep playing by those rules, I was going to keep living a less than kind of life. So basically what Paul wants us to know here, what he's trying to say and what he wants his readers to understand and what he wants us to understand is this, playing by the world's pattern is not your best bet. It's not going to be your best strategy. So the question then becomes this, if that's not my best strategy, then what is? So let's keep reading and find out. So we have, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, as I keep reading and thinking about this passage, here's what stands out to me. It seems like what Paul wants us to understand and start to get our minds around is that following Jesus positions us to not only learn a new way of thinking, a new way of having thoughts and self-dialogue, but even more, it positions us to eventually become a completely different person, So let's look at this word renewing. Now the base word of renewing is renew and that means to make new or to renovate. And in a spirit of our thoughts that we're trying to change, let me ask you this, do you got any thoughts that are tired and unhelpful to you? Old thoughts, just always had them? Studies show that of all the thoughts you and I have in a given day, that of all of those thoughts, 90% of those thoughts are recycled thoughts from the day before and the day before and the day before. You get the, right? We don't think about what we're thinking about. We can't, our minds are too lazy to think about all the different thoughts that come through our mind. And by the way, that is how patterns get created. That is how we begin to develop rules or these unchecked thoughts that keep running through our mind. A mind in need of renewal is like an old house. The style is outdated, the foundation's not super stable, and the interior is messy. And we call these kinds of houses fixer-uppers because it's going to take time and investment and sweat equity to renovate them. But if we do, the result is a really nice house, completely transformed house. And for you and I here today, our minds are fixer-uppers. And for those who follow Christ, for those who begin to walk and imitate him and put their faith in him. This is what he's saying basically is this. When you start following me, you get a new builder in town and his name is the Holy Spirit and he's got an amazing plan for your mind, nothing less than total transformation. But it's going to take time. It's going to take investment. And yes, it's going to take some sweat equity on our part. Okay, so you're sitting there this morning, and maybe you're going, all right, you kind of sold me on this. Maybe I have a few, you know, not so great thoughts, not so helpful dialogues. I got some rules that maybe aren't the best for me. I'm in. I just have a quick question, Elaine. How do I actually begin to engage in this process of renewing my mind? I'd love love your suggestions. Well, I'm glad you asked. Now, there's only about a million things that I could tell you about how to do that, but I think what's most helpful in the context of our thoughts, our conversation with ourselves today, here's what I'd love to suggest three simple steps. I say it's simple, it's not really simple, but here's where we're gonna start. It's a starting point. First is this recognize your patterns. This means you're going to need to start thinking about those old, recycled thoughts. And the way you're going to do this is you are going to start thinking about those areas in your mind where you tend to get stuck. For me, I got stuck in places when it came to new opportunities because I was always so scared of failing or new relationships because I was always so scared of like, what if they really know me? They're going to reject me. And in the light of that, I started having all these emotions. So here's what we do. When we start finding ourselves in the situations where you tend to get stuck, you're going to ask yourself this question, What is it? What is the emotion that's going on inside of me right now? What am I feeling? And then you're going to ask this and what are those feelings? What's those emotions? What are those thoughts that are trying to make suggestions to me? And then when you get to that point, remember, you're being renewed, right? You're not renewing yourself, you're being renewed and the Holy Spirit is the new builder. So at that point, you can say this, hey, Holy Spirit, I think I'm starting to recognize a pattern, not real sure. Could you clue me in? Am I right about this? And he'll do that for you. So again, you start recognizing your patterns and once you begin to do that, you get to do this. You get to reject the thought. Now, Dallas Willard was a great, brilliant thinker. He was a follower of Christ. He wrote a lot of books, helped a lot of people uh, learn how to walk with God closely. And one of the things that he said was this. He says, the gift of the Holy Spirit means you can choose what thoughts you will listen to. You are not a prisoner of every thought that goes through your mind. Just because you think it doesn't mean you got to keep it. With the Holy Spirit there, you get to say no shame, I'm not going to think what you're suggesting to me. No, Envy, I'm not going to buy into that anymore. But here's the thing. Our minds are constantly moving. They are never still. So if you're going to reject that thought, you need to be ready with something to replace it with. And I'm not talking about <laughs> think happy thoughts, right? I'm not, this is not positive thought replacement that we're talking about here today, Now, that may work temporarily. That may work once. But trying to do that is like putting a coat of paint on a house with a bad foundation. It ain't going to help you. You still got a bad foundation. What we are about and what Romans 12, 2 is about is this, total transformation, nothing less than total transformation through the process of renewing your Mine. And that starts with our foundation. It starts with the source. Do you remember we've been talking about these bad friends and how they sabotage us and lead us down bad paths, right? Well, here's the thing. Here's what we've got to get to a place of recognizing that we cannot continue to listen to those friends and really expect that our thoughts are going to change over the long haul. They will not you keep listening to that bad, tired, useless, unhelpful, unproductive thoughts that take you places you don't really want to end up. So what we need is a whole new source. It's easy to say, difficult to do, because those bad friends hang out. They don't give up easily. They're always ready to reinsert themselves into our conversations. But here's the thing. The reality is, if we want to replace the thought, you have got to replace the source. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? You need a source that you can trust. Now, what will that source be? If it's not going to be those friends, what's that new source going to be? Or rather, a better question is, who will that source be? And I would suggest that new source is a real person and his name is Jesus. And he came to earth and he modeled for us a completely different way of living, an entirely different pattern, a pattern that wouldn't push us away from life but would in fact push us towards, to use his own words, an abundant life, life to the full, a life that flows over And we can trust him when he promises that to us because he actually gave his life so that through a relationship with him, that kind of life becomes available to us, a life that is abundant, a life that is overflowing, a life that is full of grace and truth and freedom. Because here's what we learn, when we make Jesus our source, you know what he is? He is truth. Jesus is the only person alive on the planet who's ever, never, ever conformed, not one time to the world's pattern. And Jesus offers to us and says, hey, look, here's my whole life. Study it, learn from me, listen to me, look and see what I've said and done. I'm going to be the new pattern. I'm the template that you can model your whole life by, beginning with your thoughts. Jesus being our truth means he will never lie to us. Now, we may not like what he has to say, but he will never lie to us. And Jesus is grace. And why is this important? Well, John, who observed the life of Jesus, and saw everything, most everything he said and did, right? He says of this, Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. Now, why does that matter? Because here's the thing. As we're doing this and trying this, we're gonna mess this up a lot. We're not gonna get it right all the time. And we're gonna get frustrated and start thinking, transformation, it's possible for everybody else, just not for me, Lord, not for me. It's not gonna happen, not possible. And with him being our source of grace, here's what it ha- happens. He comes alongside of us and goes, <laughs> I never asked you to transform yourself. I never told you to do that. This is not about perfection. This is about practicing. I'm the one who perfects. You've got room to fail. You've got room to learn. You've got room to keep going and keep growing. And then Jesus is our freedom. You know, if Jesus hadn't done what he did, we would have no other option but the world's pattern. But Jesus releases us from that pattern once and for all. And even though the world is going to try to step in and insert itself and try to force us into that worldly pattern that we're trying so hard to get out of, we can stand firm in the very freedom that Jesus died to give us. Okay, so over this next week, here's all we're gonna try to do, guys. All we're, gonna, we're not gonna try to perfect anything. We're gonna practice this together. We are gonna learn how to recognize our patterns and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit in. We're going to learn to reject the bad, tired, old, useless thoughts, and then we are going to replace those those thoughts with the truth from our one true source, Jesus. And if you don't have, like, if you're sitting out there and you're like, I don't, I don't know, I'm brand new to this. I don't have any truth, Selene. I don't know any of that. Well, let me give you three that are great. They're. Um, They're easily applied in every situation. That's the best way I can think of to say that. First one is this. Nothing can separate me, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Never will he leave us. He'll never abandon us. His love is permanent. The second one is this. I am chosen to be in God's family. I may not belong anywhere else in the entire world, but boy, I belong here. He made a way for me to permanently have a place at his table. I belong And then the last one is this. My life has purpose and meaning as God's child. God has plans for you. God has plans for me. We've got stuff to do. He's intentional. He's investing time and sweat equity in all of us. He's got things he wants to accomplish through us. And guys, what I would suggest here is write these three things down. Write them down, keep them close by, memorize them, repeat them over yourself as often as you need to because this is how we engage in the process of renewing our minds. Now here's what I want you to know. I've given you a lot of stuff to think about this morning. I know that and I appreciate you hanging in there with me. Here's what I want you to know and never be afraid of. God is going to be gracious to you every step of the way. Remember, you're not perfecting yourself. You are being perfected. And I know this because God was gracious to me and has been and will be every step of the way. I will just love to share with you one example of how I know God is gracious in my own life. Do you remember the guy that I was talking about way back that I went to lunch with, the one that I walked away from? one that I thought was so different. Well, fortunately, he was different in all the best ways. And with time and the grace of God and a lot of patience, we got married. 27 years, two kids, and an amazing granddaughter later. And he is still my very best friend. God will always be gracious to us. Again, it's not on us to perfect or get it right. It's on us to start practicing. And God, through the Holy Spirit, has resourced you and he's resourced me with everything that we need. And with Jesus as our one true source that we can count on every single time, our thoughts change, our self-talk changes, our choices change, and we are being transformed by God himself, and that changes everything. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that the truth of this is that we do not have to be a victim of destructive self-talk. That God, these, these conversations are so important that you care so much about how we think and talk to ourselves, that you've made a way for our minds to be renewed and for us to become completely, totally transformed people. Let it be so, God, in our lives today, where we are, help us take that first step to recognize, reject, and replace. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.